0: What's next with Peter Buffett? I'm Jimmy Buff. Hello, Peter. Hello, Jimmy. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm ready for another uh, edition of What's Next. You know, um, I love being a passenger on this show.
1: Well, thank you, because uh, I'm a little self-aware of the fact that once I start talking, I don't seem to stop. No, no, (laughs) it's totally wonderful, you know,
0: and the opportunity that I get to sit and listen to these extraordinary um, guests that have been on the show is just um, a a real bonus and uh, a real highlight of my week, you know, and then I get to, um, when we put the show together afterwards, I get to hear it again.
1: Right, exactly. So, so
0: I feel doubly blessed and doubly lucky. Yep.
1: And yeah. then I get, I listen too, just so you know. I don't I don't <laughs> just do the show. I listen to it, <laughs> uh, and it really is. It, what's been fun for me is to realize that when you have an outlet for people. Uh, they take it. You know, we can, we've gotten some people on the show that I wouldn't have thought, you know, I would be talking to. So it, it's we're both having a good time.
0: And the good thing about it is it's long form. You know, it is not you're not um, uh, getting a soundbite answer. And you're not. I mean, you're, we're working within the confines of an hour, which is a fair amount of time. But it's you're not working within a five minute. I need an answer, uh, succinct answer in five minutes or less.
1: Yeah, exactly, and therein, for me, frankly, sort of lies the the challenge and and uh, understanding what I'm able to do and not able to do, but to carry on a conversation, you know, without knowing the person, being interested in the person or the subject, uh, whatever it might be, and and then to have the time to sort of explore and go, wow, how far can we go with this? Where will it lead?
0: And it's nice because you may well. Discover a a new thought or an idea In that process and some of the Guests have also had that happen which Is um, just you know doubly great
1: Yeah that's I have to say The most fun is when Uh, You're presented with an idea. You reflect it back in the way you kind of hear it or understand it or think about it. And the guest goes, oh, wow, hmm, never thought of that.
0: (laughs) This week, um, it is uh, author Daniel Quinn, who's on the show.
1: Yes. And uh, Daniel, I was first introduced to in the 90s at some point when I read... Uh, I think the first book I read actually was The Story of B. My wife, Jennifer, gave that to me because she calls me B all the time. So uh, she gave me that book. And then Ishmael I read uh, and then read again uh, fairly recently. And then the book Beyond Civilization. And every single book, as you'll uh, hear in the conversation with Daniel, uh, really – uh, is is beyond, I don't know how to explain it, but, but he really is trying to bring new language and new ideas into the conversation of culture, how we got this way uh, and how we may uh, get out of uh, some of the more difficult aspects of the culture we're inside of.
0: And if you are one of just a handful of people who, like myself, who have not read Ishmael, uh, there will be uh, be a description of that book at some point in this interview. By the author himself. By the author himself. All right, we'll take a short musical interlude, music composed by Peter Buffett. Indeed. (laughs) And we'll be back with uh, Daniel Quinn in just a moment. Next, with Peter Buffett, I'm Jimmy Buff, and right now we're joined by author Daniel Quinn. I'm here. First of all, thank you so
1: much for making the time to be on the show. Uh, I frankly lost a little sleep trying to come up with questions because I think you've, <laughs> I think you've answered every possible question you could possibly get in the last twenty years. Wouldn't you say that's true?
2: <laughs> well, I have a funny story about that. Um, Uh, about 10 years ago, a group of people uh, wanted to get together with me. They said they had a lot of questions. And uh, so I said, okay, fine, but before you do that, I'd like you to read the the book I've just finished. So I sent them a manuscript copy of Beyond Civilization. And they got down here, and we sat down in our living room and uh, said, well, okay, how about it? And they looked around at each other, And they realize they didn't have any questions. It's all been answered in Beyond Civilization. Well, so we had we had nothing to talk about.
1: <laughs> and, and I guess that's a good problem to have. But you're exactly right. I mean, uh, we come from the same source, Omaha, Nebraska, <laughs> which yeah. is great. Uh, we're about 20 years apart, I think. But uh, and and ideologically, I guess because you went to Creighton Prep and I went to Central, there's something there that. Oh yeah,
2: <laughs> my, my my older brother went to Central.
1: Okay, good, good. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, we've had different trajectories in our life, of course, uh, as we all do, uh, but we've come to so many of the same conclusions. And that's what I'm so struck by is that uh, I would agree after reading uh, specifically Beyond Civilization, which I read recently, uh, and I've read uh, other books, The Story of B* and Ishmael earlier, um, that there's just there are so many uh, points of agreement and uh, you know, that the, the questions I, I, I mostly want to just hear you say how you got to the places you've gotten to uh, or what you think about where we're going, because you were um, nice enough to send me. The forward and afterward uh, to I think it's the twenty fifth anniversary, right? Of of yes. Ishmael, yeah. Which, yes, it is. Uh, and it couldn't be a more important time to to remind the world that that book exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's so much important things uh, in there, and and the books uh, subsequent to that. And you know, one thing when I was struggling to kind of describe. Uh, who you are to our listeners, uh, author to me doesn't do it. I mean, to me, it it, it seems that the first few decades of your adult life uh, were a, a searching for a way to be the messenger that you have become. I mean, that uh, you know, you are yeah. opening yourself up to students constantly, to other people that want to um, talk with you and, and learn from uh, your books and then beyond that. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, your life, in in retrospect, uh, is that, it seems, of a messenger for these times?
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's remarkable. Uh, if if it hadn't been for that, that 15, 20 years that I spent sort of groping to, for answers to my own questions, and then the 12 years I spent writing Try struggling to find a way to write the book that, that would uh, would uh, encompass everything that I'd learned and turned out to be Ishmael. If it weren't for that, I don't know what I would be. I would be zero. So, so I, was, I was sort of born to do this, and, and uh, without it, I would not, I'd hardly exist at all.
1: Well, yeah, and, and the fact that you're so aware of that, that you have essentially opened yourself up uh, to the world, really, um, to talk with and about, uh, you know, with people about these ideas is incredible. I don't imagine that very many authors are willing uh, to give themselves up like you have. And and that, to me, says that it's a calling.
2: Yes, well, it's certainly true and uh, very few authors would have anything to say to people who wanted to get get together in a group and and talk to him for an hour. Um, They don't have the kind of questions that people have for me.
1: Right. And that's a lot of it is that you um, in your writings uh, don't I mean, to me, there are answers in there, but they also uh, create the opportunity for more questions, uh, mostly in the in the how department, I think. And that's what I'm so struck by, especially in Beyond Civilization. Uh, a couple of things I'd love to talk about. Uh, one that I repeat very often now uh, because I'm so frustrated with anything that has the word reform attached to it. Uh, and you talk about abandonment. And could you uh, talk a little bit more about that and the idea of abandonment versus reform?
2: Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm. I wonder whether. Uh,
1: where did that come from? Where
2: that, where that came from, yes. <laughs> I don't think I, I ever used the term abandonment in that book. Well, I'm not sure I, you'd find it anywhere in anything I've written.
1: Well, that's interesting, because I sure took that away uh, from, and I wish I had the book in front of me, um, Around the idea that you you really that the system doesn't know what to do. And maybe this is actually from another book I read right after that, where they they coalesced in some really interesting ways, because, you know, we have been on this track and and you use uh, a different timeline than I do. I usually go with the uh, homo sapiens sapiens which is a, a misnomer beyond belief i think we both agree <laughs> yeah. on yeah. that um and that you know for 200,000 years we would recognize each other as us uh clearly and uh we didn't even start talking until about 35,000 years ago uh and uh you know so this idea that that the earth was made for us uh, that it's always been this way um, you know, that we're uh, separate from and superior to nature. These kinds of things uh, come and up. And that somewhere. we know
2: how to how to take care of the earth. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, and in fact, I believe because for 150,000 plus years, uh, we were probably talking more like uh, Ishmael uh, and the character talk in the book. You know, I, I think there was communication, uh, but it was in a much uh, different form um so i guess i came up with abandonment because it it feels like in beyond civilization you're calling for uh, a very different way of being that has elements of the past uh but doesn't say let's go backwards it's talking about going forwards in a, a totally new way
2: yeah that's certainly true yeah uh people often think that i'm talking about going backwards and i'm, I'm not doing that at all um and in In that book, I make the distinction between programs and vision. Uh, We've become a culture of programs. We've got zillions of programs. Anything that goes wrong, we set up a program to take care of it. And so we're constantly setting up new programs to to, to fix things. Um, But the overall overriding vision remains the same. Uh, I've compared... uh, uh, programs to sticks in the river of vision and the, our vision is taking us uh, in a direction that is part c- catastrophe um, we're well in the middle of, a, of catastrophe now we're in the middle of the, the sixth, sixth, sixth extinction uh, which people don't want to hear about um, but that, that has come about a um, uh, because we've been on this trail of this, this path of, of, of vision that's carried us to this point, and that we have to get off of that.
1: And where, you know, people often uh, point to agriculture as the point of departure, as sort of the the virus that that entered into uh, the species evolution. And would you agree with that, or is it more than that? I mean, I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of agriculture and and development and population.
2: Well, the um, the thing is that people equate what we do with agriculture, and that's, that's nonsense. Agriculture is nothing more than uh, fostering the regrowth of foods that you favor. And people have been doing that for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years, without doubt. People as smart as we are have been here for that long, and they, they certainly knew how to do that. Um, and when we arrived in the, in the New World, we, everyone we found here was doing that. But they didn't call it agriculture, just so they didn't call what they did with their children, they didn't call that schooling or education, uh, but they were doing it nonetheless. What we do, what we do is, is peculiar to us, which I've called totalitarian agriculture, which is a different animal entirely, based on the principle that basically the whole world belongs to us and all the food in it. So we can do whatever we want with it. We can kill off the things that, that we compete with that we don't want around. And we can foster the growth of everything we eat, and uh, whatever whatever impact that has on the rest of the living community. Um, but agriculture itself is not 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 that. Just as we are not humanity, what we practice is not agriculture itself.
1: Right, and you mentioned that anywhere you go, where the food is locked up, that's where the problems are, and and indeed we can't imagine the food not being locked up. Many of us, most of us, uh, and yet that, that that was not our current state for, like you said, the hundreds of thousands and beyond. Really, uh, right. years. Yeah,
2: no, it would be unthinkable now. People ask me, so well, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we if we suddenly declared the food free, you know, free for the taking? I said, well, who would make it then? Who would distribute it then? Who would can it then? (laughs) And the whole thing would collapse immediately.
1: Right, which leads me to because, of course, the name of this show is called "What's Next." Um, how how do we get there? Because I agree with uh, essentially everything you've written, frankly, and um, uh, and and I came to it from an artistic bent. Uh, I got involved with the American Indian culture in a variety of ways. I got deep into the history. Uh, realized that really. By going back 500 years, uh, you could get a pretty good picture of the way most of us lived for thousands and hundreds of thousands of years. Actually, Um, it's it's that was our last best chance, I think, for getting a a sense of of how humans uh, really did live. And uh, so how and, and I completely agree. It's not about going backwards, but how do we move forwards? What are some of the indicators you'd like to see?
2: That's hard to say right now because when I wrote Ishmael, I uh, was—it had already been said that we are in, in the midst of uh, a sixth crisis. They call it a bi- crisis of biodiversity. They hadn't yet called it the sixth extinction. And so it doesn't appear in Ishmael. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do a 25th anniversary edition of Ishmael was to bring it up to date and to bring bring up uh, the fact that we are in the midst of the 6th ex- extinction. Um, this is it's so overwhelming. It's very hard for me even to think about... Um, where exactly we should go and how we should get there right now uh, I've been saying in almost every book and I've, I've, uh, I'm not uh, it's the most difficult thing for people to to accept and the one that that, that drives me the craziest and the one that gets the most infuriated with me is when I um, try to point out that, What has brought us to this point in the last 10,000 years is the belief that we must increase food production to feed our growing population. You will hear this every year, and every year the food production goes up and the population goes up. This happens every year. And uh, I have tried to make people realize that there is a cause and effect relation there. Uh, We are the, uh, by increasing food production, we are thereby increasing a population, which has brought us to this point where our footprint on the planet is so devastating that it has put us in the midst of an extinction. Um, simply, we are overwhelming uh, the planet with our biomass and our need to, to maintain that biomass. Um, so the, the absolutely first thing that we must do is to recognize that we can cease to increase food production. We don't need to in- increase food production. People imagine that w- if we did not increase food production, there would be a m- mass famine. Why in the world? They, they, that, that's just complete nonsense. Any more than than if, if, if a family lives on X amount of food this year, why they need more food next year. They don't. And we don't need we we produce X amount of food this year, and that will, will keep us going next year just as well, um, because, of course, a certain percentage of people will die, and a certain percentage of people will be born, and they equal each other out. Uh, but people become infuriated when I suggested that we must cease to increase food production, uh, and when we do that, our population will cease to grow, which at least is where we must begin if we're going to survive as, as a species. Uh, the, the, uh, the UN uh, says that their median guess is that by the end of the century there will be 10 billion of us. And so, well, that's okay, Well, that's only three more billion, that's 40% more than we are right now this is incredible i don't believe we'll make it i think that we will be gone before we get to 10 billion i don't i think that the, the whole system will collapse before we get there and it will if we keep on doing what we are doing now so that that is that is the thing that is the, the one thing that 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 must change now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is What's Next. I'm Peter Buffett, and we're talking with Daniel Quinn. And uh, yes, it it does feel that uh, the need to stop the the out-of-control train that we're on uh, needs to happen in so many ways. I mean, I would also say the consumption. I mean, this idea not only that we know what's best but that somehow the western world knows best and that everyone <laughs> yeah. everyone should have what we have you know the, the oh yeah definitely know, which is another huge piece of the puzzle i mean if if we could successfully uh, stop increasing food production, which is, I, I think, is a key point. And I can sure see why people get upset because they, they assume that you mean people will starve. But, of course, that's not true. No,
2: no, they, they wouldn't.
1: Starve. Uh, no, because the, not only do we have enough food for everyone, but if we were uh, smart about it in so many different ways, the, the distribution network's already there to get the food to everyone. You know, and I, I think that's a, a missing piece. Uh, for a lot of people. Um,
2: but well, the the uh, people will ask me this, but what about the starving millions? And I come back and I say, the starving billion, millions grow along with us, everyone else, every other part of society. Every year there are more starving millions. And they aren't starving because the food does, isn't there. They're starving because they can't buy it.
1: Right, right.
2: They're poor only the poor are starving on this planet there are no rich people hungry on this planet
1: right exactly and and I think therein lies the complexity of uh, the economic model that we've built over the past 150 years in particular um, that that looks again like the only way and uh, and then when you add on top of that um, what another uh, fellow Omaha and Christopher lash if you're uh, familiar with his work, um, said that you know the real problem came when necessities uh, or when luxuries became necessities. You know when yeah. when things that that for thousands of years and certainly recently, meaning 150 years ago or so, we we never considered we would be able to have in our home. Suddenly they had to be in our home, and then we suddenly think everyone uh, to be civilized, whatever that may mean um, it needs to have these two. And of course, then a consumption machine is built around that. Uh, And to me, that's, that's, that's the difficulty is how do you stop that? The the fact that economic indicators seem to be the only indicators uh, that matter uh, and people forget about happiness, (laughs) for instance. Yeah.
2: Right. Uh, Yeah. I I was, I was thinking this morning, I I have uh, in front of me, I, I, Every time I sit down for for a conversation over the phone, I have a list of quotes that I keep. This morning I wrote one of my own reads. It goes this way. During the 20th century, humanity's great enemy was nationalism, which brought us to the brink of a global nuclear holocaust. What's taken nationalism's place as humanity's great enemy is unlimited and completely unscrupulous global capitalism. Global nuclear holocaust seems to have receded for all time because something like that would be bad for business, wouldn't put money in anybody's pocket.
1: There you have it, (laughs) which (laughs) which, of course, it's interesting because people think that uh, given who my father is, uh, that that these kinds of conversations wouldn't be happening. But but in fact, uh, people confuse uh, things around that. You know, my dad really just is cut out uh to do what he does and he does it well and he does it every day and he you know, he just drives himself to the office at nearly eighty he's eighty five now. Um And and it's not at all, um, you know, what people think of in terms of the machinery of capitalism. Uh, He's he's sort of uh, having a a, a fun, frankly. It doesn't really matter how much money he's making to him, Um, uh, kind of playing the game of it, which, of course, the, the, the game is a very dangerous game when you're inside it and making the decisions. Um, And in fact, you're right. I think that the what's bad for business uh, is considered, you know, bad for the world. And um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. And and how we how we get off of that particular frame, um, because it's used as the indicator for so many things, you know, and then. Uh, then we get into, for instance, you mentioned it before, the education system, which is is creating minds, you know, molding minds to be uh, fed into the system that we have. Uh, you know, again, because the show's called What's Next, how do we reshape things? And I guess this is why I got to the abandonment word, because reforming the education system uh reforming the economic system reform you know these things are not going to work it's going to take a completely different uh path to get i think where you and i uh believe the world needs to go for our survival and i think a lot of people agree
2: yeah yeah uh i think that is probably the people ask me you know does it seem like we've made any progress at all <laughs> right <laughs> and i say that's really the the only sign of progress i see is that more people are talking about it than there were 25 years ago right uh in that the 90s really started it uh from the 90s on more and more people have been scratching their heads over all this and saying well what the hell are we doing here what are what what we need to be doing what 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 should come next indeed, all of that and um, I think I probably um, I probably said everything I have to say about that about what what comes next um, and it would be uh, it, it would be hard for me to right now this second to spell out uh, what I imagine to be what's next, I don't think I could do it. Uh, I I, I think it's there in my books, but I've, I've, I've never tried to put it into a sentence.
1: Well, I think it's it's worthy of more than a sentence, which is why you wrote the books. I think you're right, I, <laughs> right. and you have spelled it out. And I would also say I uh, I have read the books, but I had not gone to your website uh, before, and it is full of information and feedback mechanisms and all sorts of things to continue these conversations. I'd-
2: oh God, yes, it's 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 in a it's a dinosaur. Yeah, yeah it's right. enormous. There I answered over 700 questions there.
1: Yeah, and and, <laughs> right. the, and the fact that the way you have them broken out and the access to them and everything it's it's phenomenal. I mean, I've really never seen a more comprehensive uh, idea filled website. So, I will will provide a link to that and I encourage people to go to ishmael.org yeah. because it it there's a lot there. Um, But maybe we could talk about one of the kind of key concepts, which, of course, the the agricultural piece is huge. And I think that's something we could probably talk a little bit more about, because, again, people mistake that uh, for uh, saying what's going to happen to all the starving people. Well, again, it's a poverty issue, uh, not a food issue. Um, But new tribalism is sort of the fundamental piece to a lot of what you've talked about. Yeah. Uh, maybe now, describe that a little bit.
2: Well, um, it occurs to me that much of what we do here that doesn't work, much of our preoccupation with having new and better toys all the time, is the fact that we, so many of us, live miserable lives, and and people. Uh, wonder, what is, is Mr. Quinn saying we should give up even more? No. And that's no. not a, what I'm saying at all. And what I did in Beyond Civilization was try to give people a vision of a better way to to make a living, really. Mm-hmm. Because each of us has to make a... We all have to make a living. We've always, from the beginning of time, had to make a living, Uh we, we didn't sit back and everything came to us and sat in our lap. We've always had to every, every living thing has to make green plants have to make a living. Each one of those is a little engine of work there. And so there's uh, nothing new about that, But the way we have of making living is very trying for 90 for percent of the people have miserable work lives, I think. Mm -hmm. I I was very fortunate right out of college to get a a job in publishing and I had a great career in publishing, a very meaningful to me, very worthwhile career. And then I I walked away from it and became an author. Um, But very few people have that same experience. And so in in that book, I talk about uh, a tribal way for people now to make a living. And I give, as an example, um, a, a newspaper that Rennie, my wife, and I started in New Mexico. Uh, we, we began a newspaper. There's no other newspaper in the history of man has ever been started with a budget of under $100. <laughs> 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 we we put that together and we brought out an issue, and we, we were working in an area east of, east of the mountains in, uh, uh, outside of Albuquerque, so it's called the East Mountain News, at, which had no—in uh, a thousand square miles, there was no newspaper that uh, brought to people's awareness all of the businesses and opportunities that were available in those areas. And so people latched onto to it very quickly, and it became quite a success. And uh, the people, and as soon as we got out there, people wanted to get involved with it. And so uh, a man, Haberkamp, who uh, was a ex-newspaper man, he was ex because at age 65 nobody would hire him. He wanted to, get, wanted to join, and he said, I can do anything. I can take pictures, I can cover sports. He said, "Can you sell advertising?" Yes, I can sell advertising. <laughs> and then another another woman who, uh, who wanted wanted to write and and she was, she sent us a column. We said that was great. We had a great column, and and she, and she started covering news. And I said, "Can you sell advertising?" She <laughs> said, "Yes, <laughs> I can sell anything." And so we were we were in business, and it was tribal in the sense that there was 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 nobody really uh there uh, was no hierarchy to it. Rennie was was the boss, and she had the worst job of all <laughs> of course <laughs> she right. had, she uh, when we put the newspaper to bed, she was the one who stayed up all night to get get the layout done and drive drive it to the printer in the morning uh and uh what we did was we all four of us we lived on the income from the newspaper. And nobody had a salary. Uh, we, we that was our resource. The, the the newspaper was our our livelihood, and we I, we didn't think of it as being tribal, but that is in effect what it was. What it was, um, and it worked beautifully, and with with no 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 capital capital at all, and um, just four people who knew what they're doing and were eager to do something excellent, and it was an excellent newspaper. Um, and we, it was an important part of our lives. And Rennie, Rennie unfortunately, really got worn out by it, and eventually we realized we, we, we had to let it go. And um, we sold the newspaper, and we, we were afraid that, that it, would, it, would, it would disappear very quickly, and it did. It was replaced by a shopper. Hmm. Um, It was just too much work to actually put out a good newspaper.
1: But you speak to this idea, and I'm going to make a very uh, hopefully understandable connection here between I always look at polytheism and, uh, you know, superheroes and all this stuff as showing us that it takes a tribe. It takes people working together with each individual uh, specialty uh, to bring something to it and, and it, it sort of uh, breaks down hierarchy and and you have a, a different sort of relationship with each other and yourself and the project you're working on uh, and amazing things can happen as opposed to uh, dividing everything up uh, in divisions of, of labor, even though you had some at the paper, you were in it together. Uh, and, and I don't know how we bring that sense back. Uh, but it seems it has to start at a small scale, at a community level oh, yeah. uh, or even smaller. And I, I talk a lot on the show to various people that are very supportive of of the community level work, uh, bioregional work, as opposed to a nation state thinking. Uh, those things seem to be critical uh, to what's next you know remembering that we roamed around for uh, most of our uh, species lifetime in smaller units that really depended on each other
2: yeah yeah and it worked worked very well and uh, we never never got out of style right uh, <laughs> it never, never failed really uh, it's hard to even imagine a tribe failing.
1: Right, uh, right, exactly. I mean, it really, and and this is where I do think agriculture played a role. From my understanding, is that as as tribes became more sedentary uh, and and grew, like you're saying, because the food grew, the tribe grew, and then you started to bump up against boundaries that were otherwise not there, uh, and therein lies the the trouble.
2: Well, that didn't. Um, I'm I'm writing. Uh, very much about this right now uh, in over a period of about oh, 100,000 years starting out of Africa, population grew by immigration. Um, when, a, when a tribe gets to about 80, which is about the limit of size for an for a ethnic tribe, it would bud off. Into a new tribe of, of thirty, and and that tribe would would eventually grow to over a long period of time uh, to um, to to its own eighty and bud off another. And, and over over that way of growing is very slow, and over a period of, of I'm more than a hundred years, five, really, yeah, it started. Um, in the Americas, it was about twelve thousand years ago, fifteen ten fifteen thousand years that that people uh, began to come across from the uh the Bering Strait on the the land that was that was there, uh, linking the uh, two continents, and it began to flow down into the Americas. But it was uh, after. After twelve thousand years in, say, the United, in what is now the United States, probably all settled, uh, but not all agricultural peoples by any means. They were still, by and large, uh, hunting-gathering peoples who uh, had. Uh, their own each each tribe had their own fifty square miles or so and they they got along uh, with each other uh, by respecting their their right to live and um, they, they they practiced something that, that we found very Strange when we arrived, uh, which I called erratic retaliation—a strategy whereby um, they would they kept each other aware of their strength. They would they would from time to time invade. A, the people around them and and whack some heads and then go back and everybody would be friends again. Mm. But everyone was aware that that you couldn't mess with your neighbor uh, because they would mess 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 back and you and that worked. It Kept everybody in in their place and um, you couldn't get completely out of line. Uh, and it it worked for for. Tens of thousands of years in in the um, or in many thousands of years uh, in in the this in the in the Americas. Um, so there was a working system in place before we arrived.
1: Absolutely, and, and and it feels like, and and this speaks again to the the idea of bioregions and communities and that sort of thing. That it's it's as much a question of scale. And sort of how we frame uh, our existence inside a structure, whether it's a nation or a state um, or even a large urban city. I mean, there's 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 got to be a a way to 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 refocus that. I mean, uh, uh, when you talked about the. Uh, The newspaper reminded me here when uh, the hurricane came and really wiped out the area. Uh, Everybody came out of their houses and and had a role to play and were very happy to do it. And, you know, of course, it took the natural disaster uh, to bring it about. But then you saw it kick right in where where community worked.
2: Oh, yeah, that's seen again and again. And people are always amazed. Wow, that was really strange. Everyone was friendly. Everybody was helping everybody. Right. Wow, that was really strange. Right. Uh,
1: yeah. But in fact, it's human nature. And, and this is um, uh, one other topic I want to touch on because I think it's so important that the difference between where we've come genetically. Uh, which i think is a slow process uh and and i agree with you that i think or i think i think you agree with me that, that we have our natural tendency is natural i mean we are of the world we are not in it and on top of it we are of it and and our genes are telling us that all the time but the memes Uh, The (laughs) mimetic, Yeah, uh, right. That is a very different thing. And that has we are the only species uh, that can uh, network and and send information out in the way that we do. It's not saying that other all sorts of species send information out, but we can actually uh, evolve based on memes as opposed to genes. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that.
2: Wow, I think you've, you've said it very well. Um, yeah, um, I have to I have to shift gears to think about that, what I have to say about that.
1: Well, and only it, it made me think of it because, as you said, for thousands and ten thousands of years, uh, depending on the geographic area, uh, we have lived in a way that worked. And my feeling is that most of the reasons things don't work is what we've fed in uh, in our memetic evolution and maybe for people that don't, uh, aren't familiar with that term. Uh, I think it was Richard Dawkins. Is that right? That, that introduced it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And what, what he is pointing out was that, uh, memes are to culture what genes are to biology. Perfect. um, uh, one one of the overriding memes of our culture, for example, is civilization must go on at all costs. We must never never uh, relinquish uh, civilization right it is is the final good for humanity uh, and so the idea. Of relinquishing civilization is just gives people chills. It, it, it drives them crazy. Uh, it's unthinkable.
1: Right, and and a smaller version of that would be you can't stop progress. You can't <laughs> stop progress. Right, which of course uh, is assuming that progress is good and forward and linear, uh, all those things that I, I wouldn't necessarily agree with.
2: And growth is good. Right. Growth is good. Definitely can't get along without growth.
1: Right. And at the same time, all you have to do is, is live inside the natural world we all come from for a little bit to recognize that things happen in cycles and that things grow and die and are reborn, and that it, it's not unlimited growth uh, forever.
2: <laughs> right. And yeah. yeah. And we've, we've, we've reached, reached and exceeded that level right now.
1: Now, I've realized that we've been talking uh, about your writings, and, um, you know, it really did begin with Ishmael for all intents and purposes for the outside world. And there may be a few people out there that still don't. Uh, haven't read the book and, and wouldn't know sort of the premise of the book. Do you mind having probably said that this a, a million times to a lot of people uh, giving a little bit of an outline so people who haven't uh, read it or are familiar with it could uh, could be excited to read it?
2: Well, uh, it, would, it would have been harder for me 25 years ago. I tell you a funny story about um, my... Uh, one chance at really getting uh, a lot of mass attention. Uh, Oprah discovered Ishmael, and she uh, she uh, arranged for me to show get on her show, and uh, she um, uh, her people sent me a list list of questions they might might ask. And I knew that that I, I had been told that what she wanted was six second answers. Wow, <laughs> questions! And I said, "Well, look, boy, these questions—you are, are not going to get brief answers to these questions. Here are some questions that will get you the kind of answers that, that I know you want." And uh, I don't know whether they didn't give her that list or, or whether she just ignored it entirely. But she—the she, first thing right out of her. Uh, the first one we sat down, she said, You write about levers and takers in Ishmael. What are levers and takers? And my jaw just dropped. <laughs> and I said, Oh my God, you know, give me half an hour. I not right. answer that question. Uh, and at that time in my life I couldn't do it. In in I couldn't give her a brief answer. And fifteen years later, yes, I could have done that. And from that moment, the whole thing just went in the toilet. No. Oh, we just had a terrible time. And when it was all over, she just walked away. She didn't even say goodbye. She oh, didn't my say, Thank God. Thank you for coming. <laughs> it was such a disaster.
1: Wow. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, dear. Um Gee, now I forget what what question I was going to ask, so, answer.
1: Yeah, so now the question uh, I, I won't talk about levers and takers. I, I, I the, <laughs> oh yeah,
2: the, the brief it <laughs> is uh, what what I do in in Ishmael. Uh, preeminently is to uh, look at how things came to be this way, and I remember once I was I went to a. a a show uh, uh, in someone's house of stuff that he had brought back from Africa. He was a collector. And uh, and while I was there, I met a, a young black man who was there also looking at it. And we were going around looking at the stuff. And I said, well, you know, a lot of this is just tourist trash. He said, well, how can you tell? I said, oh, you just pick it up and you see it this is just, there's nothing, this is empty, it's just a thing where all of the really tribal stuff has meaning. You can look at it and tell this is important. And we talked some more, and I realized he didn't understand how things came to be this way. He didn't know where he had come from, where the people in Africa had come from, where everybody here had come from. He had no idea. And I think that that was an important realization for me in where I was going with Ishmael was to go back and grapple with that question of how things came to be this way, uh, which I didn't know uh, when I was his age either, and it took me years and decades for me to figure it out, to see it in its you know, in a really thorough, detailed way. And uh, Ishmael, in in the book, um, he, he puts an ad in the newspaper. Uh, Teacher seeks pupil must have an earnest desire to save the world. Right. And and his uh, the pupil in, in this book is his, his name is Alan. though. he's not named in the book. Uh, and uh, he. Um, he presents himself and and they they go at it and uh, Ishmael is a uh, a Miotic teacher that is he's, he acts like a midwife he brings out ideas that are hidden in people's minds through through dialogue and together they reconstruct uh, really how things came to be uh, and Uh, Then in in another book called My Ishmael, which is a sequel, his his pupil, uh, the pupil who answers the ad is a 12-year-old girl who happens to be a a real firecracker, a very sharp kid. And they go through an entirely different process and come and have a different journey entirely, but all to the same end of, of discovering how things came to be and understanding why things that don't work very well right now and how that came about um, so that, that's sort of the the trajectory of, of- writing.
1: Well, if that's not a compelling uh, reason to read, I don't know what is. I mean, I, you know, as you're describing this, I'm just, I, I, and obviously millions of others are so grateful that you uh, chose to undertake that question is why things came to be. And I think also coming at it from two different perspectives, one, an adult who might feel disaffected and and alienated in some way and, and wondering that question. And then another from a child. You know, who's who's just open and wonder and, and, and curious and, and doesn't know. And uh, so, you know, a, a brilliant way to have both kinds of minds uh, coming to the same uh, realizations and maybe some conclusions, uh, but certainly more questions. Uh, it, it's it's incredible what you've done. Uh, and, and it was fun,
2: too. I mean, well, good. I, I really enjoyed
1: it. <laughs> That's I enjoyed important. that work, uh, which actually I think is important. Uh, we're just about out of time. But but fun is part of it. Uh, I, I think it was Emma Goldman, the the uh, feminist who said, if if you can't dance, I don't want to be in your revolution or something. You know, I mean, it's this, <laughs> this idea that, that we need to create a future uh, that more people feel a part of, engaged in uh, and can have fun doing what they do.
2: Yeah. Really. Yeah.
1: Well, um, again, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. I really do urge everyone not to only read the books, uh, but to go to the website. Your your website is is quite uh, the uh, 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 what's the word? <laughs> There's a lot there. <laughs>
2: There's a lot there. Web, website designers look at it and say, "Oh my God, what, what, <laughs> what have you got here? You've got you've got to do something about this. You've got to revise this."
1: Well, I don't know about revising it. I think it probably oh, it's works a, it's just such an antique <laughs> right 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 well, you know and and the fact that you give your time to essentially whoever wants to ask a question uh is such a gift and uh, thank you again. Uh, I'm I'm glad you're on the planet. Uh, I'm thrilled. <laughs> uh, thrilled we came from the same source in Omaha. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure. I I, I was I'm all, always nervous when I start out with, with an interview like this. I, oh my God, what am I going to say? What is he going to ask? But this has been a great pleasure.
1: Well, thank you. Because me too. I was sitting there last night thinking he <laughs> he's said it all, and uh, and I have to say uh, in closing that I I found a little anecdote about uh, Ted Turner being the first person that said, why a gorilla? I think that is is classic. Yeah. (laughs) uh, But thanks again for all that you're
0: doing and I look forward to meeting someday. That's author Daniel Quinn. Find out more about him at ishmael.org. For more shows, go to wherever fine podcasts are found. The music for the show is original and available at peterbuffet.com. See you next time.